After years and years of blogging and teaching over 750 people SEO best practices in my SEO Made Simple course, I've definitely found that newer bloggers or experienced bloggers who are new to SEO tend to make the same mistakes when creating content. In fact, it's so ubiquitous that I almost have a mental list of things that I quickly check when giving feedback on posts in my office hour calls. I thought today I'd take that list out of my brain and share it with you on this podcast episode. Even if you've been blogging with an SEO strategy for a while, this list will still serve as a great check-in to make sure that you haven't accidentally veered off track with your content over time, especially since best practices do change over time. So let's get into it. The top 10 on-page SEO mistakes that new bloggers make. And in case you're not familiar, on-page SEO means content-related things that you are in direct control of on your website, in contrast to off-page SEO, which includes factors outside of your website in direct control, like backlinks, and technical SEO, which encompasses things outside of your content, like site speed, site structure, etc. So for this episode, we'll just be talking about SEO mistakes related directly to the way that you produce your content. And of course, if any of this sounds exciting and you have not yet checked out my course, SEO Made Simple, I would love to have you learn more about it at seowaitlist.com. Just add your name to the list and I will start sending you some really exciting emails with SEO tips and more information about my course and how it can help you get tens of thousands of people to your website every single month so that you can monetize in the way that you desire, whether that be the publisher model where you're trying to earn money from display ads, affiliate links, maybe do some sponsored content type of stuff, an online business model where you're selling something to an audience like a course or a membership site or a group program, or maybe even a services model where you're trying to create content that will attract people to you that want to work with you one-on-one. Regardless of what your dreams are, if you desire to build an audience through blogging, definitely, definitely add your name to the list at seowaitlist.com. Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. All right, so let's get into the mistakes. Mistake number one is not targeting a clear keyword. I sometimes find that even when people do keyword research and select a keyword to target, they sometimes miss the mark on clearly targeting that keyword in their post. Even though SEO has moved way beyond just including a keyword in your title and calling it a day, I do still think it helps with ranking and click-through rates if you can include your target keyword in your blog title in a prominent yet natural way. Including the keyword in your title helps show that you're covering the exact topic that someone is searching for, and if you can make it work in a way that sounds enticing and natural, it could increase the number of people who decide to click through your search result to read your content. So one of the ways people often go wrong with this is that they don't actually include the exact keyword phrase in their title. So for example, a student will share a link to a new blog post that they just published inside my student support Facebook group, and I will look at the title of their post, but I can't immediately tell what keyword they were targeting. So I'll just make up a random example. Let's pretend someone wanted to target the keyword healthiest berries. Ideally, they could create a title with that phrase explicitly in it, like 15 healthiest berries to eat or something like that. That title includes the keyword phrase, healthiest berries, and it includes it towards the front of the title. It makes it really clear that this post probably contains a list of the healthiest berries out there. 
In contrast, a newer blogger may accidentally call their blog post on this same topic something like, which berries are the healthiest? See the subtle difference there? Like, sure, those two titles, 15 Healthiest Berries to Eat and Which Berries Are the Healthiest, might technically cover the same topics, but one is much better optimized to rank for the keyword healthiest berries. Which berries are the healthiest does not actually contain the exact keyword phrase healthiest berries. The words are there, but not in the exact order that people are searching for them. And while this is not always a make it or break it, I have found that for newer bloggers with lower domain authority, including an exact match keyword can give you a slight edge that you might need in order to compete against larger websites. The other way that people go wrong is that they do include the exact match keyword, but they put it at the end of the title instead of at the beginning. So they might say, a comprehensive list of the world's healthiest berries, for example. That title is far inferior to the first one I made up, 15 Healthiest Berries to Eat, because the keyword and the focus of the article is at the end of the title rather than at the beginning. Again, this is a relatively minor factor, but I have seen it make a difference in real life, so it's just something to pay attention to as you craft your titles for blog posts. Mistake number two, not understanding the search intent. This is a super big one. One of the frequent mistakes new bloggers make is that they pick a keyword and start writing immediately without doing due diligence first and scoping out the search results to make sure that they understand what Google thinks searchers want. For example, one of the ways I see this play out is when a new blogger assumes the intent of a keyword is purely informational, when in reality, the intent is more commercial, like the searcher is intending to buy something or is looking specifically for information that will help them make a purchase decision, like perhaps a review post. So for example, let's pretend you find the keyword low carb pasta, and it was something that you thought you could rank for. As a newer blogger, you might be like, okay, cool, let me start writing up a whole post about what makes pasta low carb and some of the different types that are out there and call it a day. But that would be a mistake. If you actually Google the keyword phrase low carb pasta, you will see that the top ranking post is actually a comprehensive review post where the writer reviews the top nine brands of low carb pasta and tells you which one is the best. So that tells you that Google thinks that someone searching for the phrase low-carb pasta is looking for help making a purchasing decision. They're looking to compare products and figure out which one the best one is to buy. They're not looking for, say, the definition of low-carb pasta with a generic list of options. They want someone to tell them, hey, this product is the all-time best. We tested it. We did the work for you. Go check it out. So always, always, always Google your keyword phrase and see the type of content that is ranking on page one and make sure that the type of post that you are planning to create is in alignment with what Google is already ranking at the top of page one. Mistake number three, improper use of headings. Have you ever wondered what all those heading options are in WordPress or Squarespace or Wix or whatever platform you're on? Did you think that they were just quick ways to make your sentences look bolder or have the font be different size? (laughs) Or have the font be a different size? Yeah, I used to think that too, but oh my gosh, hell to the no. Headings are actually super duper important for both the user experience and SEO. Headings actually function like an outline for your post, with H1 being the highest level, it should be applied to the title of your post, H2 H2s being the main topics of your blog post, H3s are subtopics within H2s, and H4s are subtopics underneath H3s, etc. 
That is the only way that headings should be used within your post. They should be short, easy to skim phrases that break up your post into logical sections and subsections. You should never be using headings to make a sentence bold or to draw attention to a quotable saying or something like that. Headings are for structure, so make sure you're using them that way. Mistake number four, accidentally keyword stuffing. This is happening less these days, but I still see it occasionally when people use their target keyword or a close variation in like every heading of their post. For example, the title of a blog could be gluten-free sugar cookies, and then they make all the headings, what you'll need to make gluten-free sugar cookies, how to store gluten-free sugar cookies, what to serve with gluten-free sugar cookies, why these are the best gluten-free sugar cookies, etc., etc. And some of this comes from the older days of SEO, when including your keyword more often in your content, and especially in your headings, helped Google understand whether that content was a good match for a search query. SEO tools like Yoast would give out SEO scores based on how well-optimized a post was, and one of those factors that they considered was whether or not you included your target keyword in some of your headings. And that tended to cause people to over-optimize their posts in an unnatural way. Then a few years ago, there was a Google algorithm update that really negatively impacted people who were keyword stuffing in their headings, especially in the recipe space. So thankfully, that practice has receded quite a bit, but I do still see it occasionally, usually when people are taking recommendations just verbatim from a tool like Yoast. They're taking those little green light sing- signals way too literally, and they are not using their own critical thinking skills. Google algorithms now use artificial intelligence to understand what a piece of content is about, so you no longer need to include the keyword in every heading for them to understand that that heading is related to the main topic of the article. These days, you can just say how to store as the heading of your gluten-free sugar cookies post, and Google knows that that section contains instructions on how to store gluten-free sugar cookies, even though you didn't put those words in the heading. No need to overdo it. Mistake number five, paragraphs are too long. Oh boy, if I had a dollar for every time I saw someone making this mistake, I would never have to work again, like seriously. But really, nine times out of 10, newer bloggers are still stuck in the mindset of academic writing rather than writing for users on the internet. They write these long formal paragraphs, like they're writing a term paper, and then wonder why no one's reading their stuff or why people are only on their blog post for like five seconds before clicking away. You need to make your content easy to read, easy to skim, easy to digest, and easy to find the information that someone is looking for. If someone clicks on your search result and finds a wall of text, most people will get immediately overwhelmed and click back to the search results to find something easier to consume. And then that is sending signals to Google that your content must be lower quality or not quite meeting the needs of the searcher, because otherwise, you know, they would be staying on the piece of content, right? So if people are clicking away, that will likely hurt your chances of ranking higher up on page one. Rule of thumb, aim to have your paragraphs no longer than three lines. That may mean that some paragraphs are literally like one sentence, and that's totally fine. Remember, the majority of people are now consuming content on much smaller screens, like phones, rather than on a computer, so shorter paragraphs is better on all fronts. I know, it can be a weird habit to break if you're used to writing in a scholarly setting, but trust me, this is a really important piece to get right. Mistake number six, 
not getting to the point. This is actually a newer factor that I think has become increasingly important over the last few years. And I know this used to be a big issue in the recipe space, but I have seen it in the health article space as well. So a lot of times people spend the first part of a blog post talking about things that are not directly related to the query at hand. For example, in the recipe space, sometimes people start out by telling a personal story about how they came up with a recipe or what they did that weekend or whatever. In the health space, sometimes people spend the first 500 words of their post explaining the background of a topic, when in reality, sometimes the person searching for that search term already understands the background and they're just quickly scrolling past all of that fluff information to get to what they really want. So for both SEO and for the user experience, do your best to get to the point right away. So for example, if you are writing a recipe post about kale chips, sure, you might wanna put the recipe card at the end of the post still to maximize your ad revenue, but every single piece of information in the post above the recipe card should be relevant, helpful information like a quick summary of the steps involved, more information and tips on the ingredients someone will need, perhaps a visual photo collage and summary of the different steps of the recipe, tips for getting the best results, answering frequently asked questions, how to store leftovers, recipes that pair well with this one, alternative ways to cook it if applicable, maybe a video if applicable, and then the recipe card. You probably don't need to talk about the extensive history of the recipe, how you came up with it, your grandma's life story, etc., etc. Stick to the point and only provide information that will help someone make the best version of this recipe as they can. In the health space, if you are writing about, let's say, the best probiotics for IBS, you don't need to start your post by talking about what IBS is, the different types of IBS, common treatments, etc., You need to understand who the person is who is likely searching for the term probiotics for IBS and meet them where they're at. For example, that searcher, if they are already at the point where they're searching for something so specific, they most likely are already very familiar with what IBS is and they do not need a full overview of the condition before getting to the actual information about which probiotics are helpful. (laughs) Like, sure, Mention what IBS is in a sentence or two in the intro, but leave it there. Get to the point. If you make the information hard to find or require people to scroll forever through blocks of text to find it, you've already lost them. And this also applies to review style posts as well. The new trend and what Google is currently favoring is posts that actually highlight the top recommended pick right at the top of the post, most likely with an affiliate link right there to buy. And then underneath, you can provide more details for people who want to go there. Don't bury the lead. Give people what they want as soon as possible. No more, no less. Mistake number seven, not paying attention to formatting. This one is a little more nebulous and a skill that I think you develop over time as you do more online writing. Sometimes when I look at a newer blogger's website, the information may be great, the layout may be correct, like they're using headings and stuff correctly. Maybe they even included some helpful images or infographics, etc. But something about the page just seems off. Like maybe the size and boldness of the headings is a little wonky, or the spacing between the lines or between paragraphs doesn't seem quite right. Or they don't have a sidebar and the content covers the full width of the page in a really awkward way. Just little layout slash formatting things that could and should 
be improved to give off the impression that the blog is professional and high quality. Now, I totally acknowledge that many people who are good at writing are not necessarily good at design. So this is a case where hiring some help or using a good website template could be worth your time. Most of the time, you can improve a large portion of these things just by playing around with your theme settings. But I just find that people often overlook this factor or they just can't quite see the issues because they're just too close to their website and their work. Or maybe they also have some sort of sense that the layout on their post is not quite right, but they can't put their finger on what exactly is wrong. So regardless if this is you, it is definitely worth fixing these things up. Once you go in and play around with your theme settings for things like font size, line height, boldness of headings, sidebar layouts, etc., it applies those settings site-wide automatically. So this is a fix that you can just do one time and it will instantly make everything look better on your site. So yay! Mistake number eight, no internal links. A lot of newer bloggers get so, so excited about the content that they've created that they forget to pause and take a moment to add some internal links in their post before hitting publish. Internal links are where you link between one piece of content on your site to another piece of content on your same site. And that can help pass backlink juice and authority between pages on your site and help Google better understand what type of content you're an authority on and which pages and posts are most important on your site. So whenever you're writing a post, you should be thinking about whether or not you have related content on your site that people might also be interested in and include a link to it in your post. For example, if you are writing a post about how to become a dietitian, perhaps you also want to point people to your post that explains what a dietitian is and to another post on a different uh, career options for dietitians, for example. This is a great way to get people to stay on your site longer, increase your page views, better meet the needs of your audience, and create true fans. And also, don't forget to think about places on your site where you could add links back to the new post that you are about to publish. So if this post about how to become a dietitian is new, don't forget to go back into your post that explains what a dietitian is and link to this new article as well. Implementing a good internal link strategy naturally creates content clusters on your site around related topics, which may boost your topical authority and help you rank better for keywords around that topic. Mistake number nine, missing a call to action. This is another easy one to just totally miss. <laughs> Pretty much all blog posts should have a call to action of some kind, whether that be an affiliate link you want people to click, a link to book a discovery call, or simply a really great email opt-in. You definitely want to point people towards a next step that you'd like them to take. Not including a call to action is a missed opportunity to make a connection, continue a relationship with someone, and earn some additional revenue. Make it a part of your process to include a call to action in every post that you make. And pro tip, you can create a reusable block within WordPress so that it takes like 0.2 seconds to quickly insert an embedded email opt-in form, button, or whatever call to action you tend to use again and again. Mistake number 10, not properly disclosing affiliate links. This one is also super, super common for new bloggers. They tend to include affiliate links within their content without proper disclosure or without marking the links as nofollow or sponsored. If you include links within your content that are compensated in any way, including the potential to earn income after people click the link and make a purchase, then that relationship needs to be clearly disclosed. 
The FTC has some great guidance on how to stay in compliance, so I can link to that in the show notes for this episode. If you just head over to theunconventionalrd.com and look for this episode under the podcast section, you will be able to find a link to some more in-depth documents. But long story short, you need to clearly disclose when you are an affiliate for something before people get to the affiliate link. So putting a really small affiliate disclaimer at the very bottom of your blog post is not good enough. And that's what I see a lot of new bloggers do. It's like they're kind of timid or afraid to say that there's an affiliate link in the post. So they like bury that information at the very bottom. And that is not in compliance with FTC rules. So that is something to be aware of. And also a lot of people aren't aware that if you are an Amazon associate, which is Amazon's affiliate program, that there is very specific language that you need to use to disclose that relationship. So I will give you an example of how we disclose our affiliate links on one of my blogs. I created a reusable block in WordPress that I just named Affiliate Disclosure, and I insert it towards the top of any blog post that contains affiliate links. The disclosure says, please note this article contains affiliate links. If you click one of these links and make a purchase, we may earn a commission. And then this is the actual Amazon affiliate disclosure. As an Amazon associate, I earn from qualifying purchases. That's the verbatim sentence that you're required to include. You also need to make sure that any links that you are compensated for, including affiliate links, are marked as either no follow or sponsored. Either one is fine so that Google can tell that those are not naturally earned links and they can treat them accordingly in their ranking algorithms. Don't feel badly if this is something that has been completely off your radar. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know, but it definitely is something you want to go in and fix on your site if you are not in compliance. So, and again, if this sounds like a foreign language, I welcome you to check out my SEO Made Simple course. I walk you through all the steps on how to do all of this stuff, and you can find that at seowaitlist.com. That's currently the only way to sign up is to put your name on the waitlist. So that is it for my top 10 on-page SEO mistakes that new bloggers make. To recap, the 10 mistakes were, number one, not targeting a clear keyword, number two, not understanding search intent, number three, improper use of headings, number four, accidentally keyword stuffing, number five, paragraphs are too long, number six, not getting to the point, number seven, not paying attention to formatting, number eight, no internal links, Number nine, missing a call to action. And number 10, not properly disclosing affiliate links. And again, if you listened to this episode and were like, oh crap, I just realized that I need a major help and guidance with blogging, I would love to invite you to join my course, SEO Made Simple. Again, there's only one way to join, and that is by adding your name to the waitlist at seowaitlist.com. I currently have rolling enrollment based on when you request to join, but you should get an email invitation to join within a few weeks of adding your name to the list. Once you're on the waitlist, you'll start getting helpful information about SEO sent to your inbox right away, so definitely check it out. Catch you next week.